Good evening, everyone. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come tonight to praise and thank you for the one who paid our debt and made us white as snow. Through his glorious sacrifice for our sin, I pray that our hearts would be compelled once again to sing praise and honor and give thanksgiving to you for all that you have done for us in the cross. Help us tonight as we hear your word. Give us eyes to see Jesus better tonight. We pray in his name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, and we're going to begin by reading the first nine verses. I'm hoping it's going to be up on the screen. We read in Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold open my eyelids. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And then he asks these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? This is a cheery way to start a Thanksgiving Eve service, isn't it? I don't think I have to show or ask for a show of hands to know that virtually everyone in this place has experienced some or all of what our psalm writer is going through. Trouble or hardship comes, whether it's our own doing, whether it's the sin of somebody else against us, or or just circumstances being what they are, and you are in distress, and you wonder, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? God, what what are you doing? God, where are you in this? When you find yourself in times of trouble, Mother Mary is not going to come to you, for those of you Beatles fans. Mother Mary wasn't Jesus' mother, by the way. It was Paul McCartney's mother. But when you find yourself in times of trouble, God has power to help. I'm not saying, and this psalm is not saying, that God will always fix things the way you hope them to be. He does do that sometimes, and and we can be thankful for those moments. But when your heart is in anguish and your life is in turmoil, 
What we learn from this passage is that we can find strong help and renewed hope by going to God with honest expression and God-centered reflection. In times of trouble, we find strong help and hope by going to God with honest expression and God-centered reflection. Now, when I wrote that, I thought, this doesn't sound very earth-shattering. But it is God's means of grace to us in our times of trouble. And if God is in it, he can and does bring extraordinary results when troubles come. What is it that God wants us to do when those troubles come? That's what this passage addresses. This is considered a psalm of lament. And while we don't know what the exact trouble is that the writer is speaking on, he is experiencing significant distress. He has this sense of abandonment by God, and and it's impacting him deeply and personally. And we discover how God uses the distress to move ASAP, to, to bring his troubles to God in such a way that doesn't necessarily remove the problem, but that it will bring hope in the midst of it. And that begins with his honest expression of what is going on in his heart and mind. That's our first main point, Asaph's honest expression. And I think it's, it's important to note where he goes with that expression. He goes, first of all, to God. Sounds obvious, but when troubles and hardships come, what do you typically do? Where do you typically go? I know what I often do. Just happened to me the other day. Something came up. It was only a potential problem. It it, it didn't even happen in, in reality. But my mind started spinning. What would I do if this happens? How do I respond? How can I avoid this? What if it doesn't work out? I, so I, I, I was plotting and scheming and relying on my own understanding to figure it all out. It had to do with someone here at the church, and I wasn't even talking to God about it. As if only church stuff I should talk to God about. That's often where we go, isn't it? We don't always go to God first. So why don't we? We were talking about this in our community fellowship the other day. Why do we wait to go to him first? Why would we look to other things before God? Perhaps because we think we know better? Maybe. Or maybe it's just because we want a fast fix. We don't like pain. We don't like inconvenience. And we live in a society where things happen fast. I mean, you can get stuff from Amazon in a day. I like it. But it gives us some impatience. We, we, we want to see everything happen fast. And, and God just doesn't always work that way. But in verse 1, our author goes right to God. He begins by crying aloud to God, he says. And he's confident. He says, God will hear me. He says, in the day of trouble, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to keep talking to him. I'm going to keep going to him. 
Sometimes when things get really bad, do you get mad at God? He hasn't answered the way you like and you've kept praying and you keep getting no for an answer and you think, that's it, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not praying. I'm not going to talk to him about this anymore. I'm going to do something about it. That was not the case with Asaph. He kept talking. Even so, what we discover is in all of his crying out to God and all of his talking, it wasn't doing him any good. It says in verse 2 that, that he's stretching his hands out to God continually without wearying. Verse 4 says God is holding his eyes open. He's awake all night pleading with God and his soul is not comforted. And then he says something even a little more troubling. Verse 3, he says, when he remembers God, he moans. What, what is that about? I think maybe it's as if Asaph is saying, God, when, when I think about what you've done in the past, how you've delivered your people, how you've delivered me from trouble, why, why aren't you doing that now? You've, you've done it. Why not now? And so he groans at that thought. When, you know, and wondering, when is God going to work? He feels like God has let him down. Ever feel like that? And in case you might think that this guy is a, is a kind of weak-natured, wimpy, whiny complainer, you know, because you don't necessarily wrestle with things in the same way as he does. I, I would say this, I would say this, friends. I would be very careful labeling this guy or others, you know, who may struggle this way. I'd be very careful labeling them with weak faith. Remember, these are God's inspired words. A third of the Psalms are these kind of painful prayers. Clearly, God has a purpose for them being there. And be very careful thinking that this is really not an issue for you or that it will not somehow be an issue for you because you've, you feel you're so strong in faith. Because listen, this was an issue for Paul, the great apostle, right? 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 to 9, he says when he had been suffering for the gospel, he said he was utterly burdened, burdened to the max. He says he despaired of life. He felt like he had the sentence of death on him. Jesus himself, Jesus, our Savior, expressed this kind of soul agony when he was praying before he was arrested, right? Mark chapter 14, he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It says in verse 33, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He says to his friends, my soul is sorrowful unto death. Jesus, God in flesh, was distraught. Not sinfully distraught, but he was feeling the weight of sorrow because of what he was about to experience in taking the wrath of God for the sins of the world. You may not wrestle like Asaph did, but if you do, you're in good company. Jesus understands. Isn't that good to know? So let's not label others or even yourself 
with weak faith when you're feeling distressed in this way. This, this guy begins with God. He keeps calling out to God. He hasn't abandoned God. When you find yourself in times of trouble, begin with God. Keep talking to God, even if you have to wrestle through the nights. So he goes to God, and then he lays it all out there for God. So don't be afraid of bringing all your cares and troubles to God. Bring your thoughts, your feelings, your complaints, your doubts, your doubts. Bring them all. Asaph doesn't hold back. He is brutally honest. And he says things that come into our minds, into our heads, things that we think we shouldn't say out loud or that we can't. You don't have to sanitize your prayers, friends, to make them more spiritual or more holy. And then Asaph, in trying to bring relief to his rattled soul, says in verses 5 and 6, let, let, let me think about the days of old. Let me, let me think about the years long ago. Let me think about those times when I was rejoicing in what God was doing, when I had a song in the night. I wasn't, I wasn't stretching out my hands and not losing sleep. I was singing. And he contrasts those sweet memories with the present problem and then things seem to turn to the worst. He begins to question in verse 7. God, will you never be kind again? Will you continue to reject? Have your love and promises ended? Have you, have you forgotten your compassion and grace? Are you just angry with us? Those are serious questions and doubts. But clearly, Asaph does not believe that this is so. Because remember, he has already resolved to keep calling out to God. God's been in the equation from the beginning. And later in the psalm, he doesn't abandon God or any of these things. But sometimes naming, giving voice to what we're feeling can put us in a place where we can actually begin to work through and think rightly about the situation. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce says this about these dark questions. Even in this negative form, all these doubtful negative questions, even in this form, it's better to ask them than not to ask them because asking them sharpens the issue and pushes us toward the right positive response. That's just what Asaph is doing. Pastor Mark Vogrup says this, this is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. He, he's not praying in pain just to stay in pain. That would be a problem. That would be disbelief. That would be sin. He prays in pain so that he can go somewhere with it to have his trust and hope Restored in God. So God, friends, invites you to bring your pain, your troubles, your questions, even your doubts, without fearing that he's going to turn you away. Because listen to this. Even the fact that you are bringing them is an act of faith. If you didn't believe that God could do something, you wouldn't be doing it. 
Your painful, honest expressions is part of the process to bring you where God wants you to be. So questions, doubts, they don't negate faith. They are means God uses to strengthen it. And then in the next 11 verses, we discover a st- strategy that God has given in order to strengthen our faith in times of trouble. In verse 10, things begin to shift in the perspective of Asaph. He's been crying out to God, expressing his pain, his frustration and doubt, but he doesn't feel like it's been doing any good. We've already said he hasn't lost faith, but he's come to the end of himself. And he needs a two-step strategy in the next verses. To appeal and remember. To appeal and remember. In one sense, he's already been appealing to God in the the first part of the psalm, right? He's been pleading for help. He's even been trying to remember and meditate on the times when things were good and favorable. But that hasn't helped. But now he appeals and remembers in a new way. I'm going to see it on the screen, verse 10 and following. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like you? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The sky poured, the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It is in these verses that we discover Asaph's God-centered reflection. In verse 10, he says he's going to plead with God. That's the first part of the strategy, right? By looking to the years of the right hand of God. Meaning what? Meaning this is what God's strong hand has done in the past. In other words, instead of simply remembering those times when everything was going good, when he gets sing of God's goodness, he's going to plead for God's help by remembering his mighty works and wonders. In verses 11 and 12, he says he's going to remember. And then he's going to remember again. And he says he's going to ponder. He says he's going to meditate. What are these mighty works and wonders that he is meditating on? In particular, he's talking about God's redemptive work in the history of his people, Israel. And we're going to read about those in, in, in just a minute. But, but as we look at that, as we see that he's remembering God's wonders and works in, in Israel's history, we don't want to just remember that. We can also remember God's saving work in our history, in our personal story with God. 
I remember last year having one of those days that Asaph had. I, I was so rattled in my emotions, I thought, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what to do. I need you to help me, God. It was even a little bit more intense than that. But I was angry, I was frustrated, and I was all bunged up and in turmoil. And God mercifully directed me to this psalm, Psalm 77. And when I got to these two verses, verses 11 and 12, I, I knew, I knew he was talking about God's work in Israel's history, how he revealed himself to them, how he performed mighty works, rescuing them from Egypt, giving them the commandments, bringing them into the promised land, all of that and more. I knew that that's what those verses were talking about. But then I thought, well, what about your works in my history, God? And I began remembering what he's done. I thought about how God put me. I, I, I literally went back to the beginning of my life. And I thought about how God put me in a particular family, in a particular town that I didn't really like, in a particular school with not so nice kids. I didn't have the worst life. In many ways, it was very good. But if I'm going to be honest, it wasn't always very pleasant. In fact, there was a lot of hurt humiliation, and disappointment, and a lot of sin on my part. But in all of that, God made me dissatisfied with this world so that I might begin looking for ultimate satisfaction. But the pain and the hurt didn't end there, right? It, it, God brought me through a very dark time in my late teens and 20s when people and plans and sinful pleasures were not doing what I wanted them to do. And this led me to begin thinking, there, there's got to be more. There has to be. Is this it? There has to be a God. And then God brought me to a place where I met Christians who were kind and gracious to me. They invited me to be part of their lives. They invited me out to church. They began reading the Bible with me. So I want you to see what I'm getting at. God's wonders and mighty works in our history, in my history, was not all peaches and cream. There was all kinds of pain and trials and even sin, but God used all all of that to bring me to a place where I would see my greatest need was not relief from all the pain. My greatest need was for a person. It was for him. It was for the forgiveness and peace and hope that he alone offers through faith in his son. So I was remembering and meditating and pondering on all God's mighty work of redemption in me, and my turmoil began to melt, and hope was restored. Friends, here is the key to finding help in our times of trouble. It is the remembering, it is the meditating, it is the pondering on who God is and what he's done in saving us. Listen to what John Piper says quote should be on the screen. The central, 
biblical strategy for coming out of darkness and discouragement and doubt is a conscious effort of the mind. Notice the strong words of Asaph's intentionality. I will remember, I will remember, I will meditate, and I will ponder. These are conscious acts that he chooses to do. This is the fight of faith. This is the fight for delight. This is the opposite of passivity and resignation. This is a strategy of life. Now, this kind of meditating and pondering, friends, it's just not going to happen in an instant. It's not going to happen with a flash prayer. It's going to take time and energy and concentration. It's going to take resolve. And of necessity, it must be informed by the Word of God. Because that's the only way we can remember his works of old according to what he actually says in the Word. Even when I was personally reflecting on my own history, I, I did that according to what I knew from the Word of God. And friends, you can't meditate on what you don't know. How can you go back and remember if you don't know what the Word says? That's why we're so committed here. Your pastors and other leaders here, we're so committed to equipping you in the Word and exhorting you to take time to know it and understand it. To do that personally, with your family, in your small groups, as we gather in worship, to know and absorb this truth. Not on a superficial level. We don't want to just read the Bible like a, you know, good luck charm, right? We do that sometimes. Ooh, I want to have a good day. I better read the Word. We don't want to just do it on an academic level where we're just learning a bunch of information, but it makes no difference in our hearts, right? We want to do it in such a way that the truths of God and the character of God and the works of God are penetrating and taking roots in your heart. So that when difficult times come, that you would go to him in the word. Because it's through the word that you know him, experience him, and taste and see that he is good even when it's hard. And it can be hard sometimes. We see in the next verses how Asaph meditates on God's character. Verse 13, we discover, first of all, that God is holy. To be holy means that God is morally pure. He, is always, he always does what is appropriate, true, and good. Even when you feel like God is not being good. One pastor talked about... Um, he and his wife going to the um, gynecologist, hopeful that she was pregnant after a stillbirth and numerous miscarriages. And she gets there, and the doctor says, I don't know how to tell you, but there's no baby there. And they went out to the car, and he said to her, you want to pray? She said, yes. And she said this, God, I know that you're not mean, but it feels like it today. Friends, that was a painful prayer, but it was leading 
her summer because what did she say? I know that you're not that. I know that you're good even when it doesn't feel like it. God in his holiness always, listen, you gotta believe this. You gotta look to God for grace to help and help to believe this. God is always good even when it looks utterly not good because that's what he is. That's who he is. The word says, God, you do good. You are good and you do good. We need faith to believe that, that even in the, the hard times, God is working for you good. He's got, a, he's got a better plan than just your comfort and ease and relief from pain. It's that you would know him and that you would be like his son who suffered, which led to glory. So God is not only holy, it also says in verse 13, he is great. Who is great like our God? No person, no supposed God, nothing and no one can be compared to him. He is all-powerful and mighty to save us from our sins and to carry us in all of our circumstances. In times of trouble, God is calling you to meditate on his character. And after describing God's incomparable might, Asaph tells us how God demonstrated that among the nations. It says in verse 16 and following, I'm just going to read this to you. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the, sky, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. What event in Israel's history is this pointing to? The Exodus, right? When God rescued his people out of Egypt and brought them out of the sea through the Red Sea on dry land. This is the defining moment of God's saving power of his people in the Old Testament. He's redeeming his people out of slavery and bringing them into the promised land. What's the redeeming moment of God's saving power in the New Testament? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It's by grace through faith in the cross of Jesus that he delivers us from the slavery of sin. And he brings us into the promised land of God's kingdom where Jesus reigns as king and savior and friend. Again, quoting Pastor Mark Vrogop, he says this of the cross, he says, it is our foundation. Actually, you know what, what the word he uses? He says, it's the floor. It's this solid place. Really what he says, it's the floor on the floor on the floor of our hope in times of trouble. That's how stable it is. He goes on to say, in your pain, when you don't know what to say, you go back to the cross. And say to yourself, this is the moment, the moment when God proved he is for me. This moment matters more, infinitely more than are any worldly sorrow or suffering, as painful as that might be. This is our rock in times of trouble, the cross. 
When you are in trouble, you may not see God's footprints, right? That's what it says when God's people were crossing through the Red Sea. They didn't see, they didn't see his footprints. So you may not see it when you, you're going through trouble, but when you keep looking back to the rock of the cross, by God's grace, you will look back once you're through them and you will see God's footprints over and over and over again. And you will say with the Apostle Paul, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, you might feel that there is loss, that there is pain, that there is trouble. You will have all things. In Jesus, all things are being made new. And maybe you won't see it this side of heaven, but you will see it when Jesus comes again. In times of trouble, go to God with your open and honest expression of pain. Don't hold back. Let him know everything. Pray through the pain, the frustration, and the doubts where you are remembering who God is and what he has done in your life. Ultimately, what he has done through the cross of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Go back to the floor on the floor, on the floor of the foundation of the cross. Remember and meditate in your troubles. Ponder that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You dare not trust the sweetest frame, wholly lean on Jesus' name because it is on Christ, the solid rock, that you will stand. Friends, that is something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we need Jesus. How we need to remember the cross. Our, our, our minds, our thoughts, our feelings go in so many different directions. And we need help pulling them back in to what is true about who you are and what you have done for us in the cross. Give us grace to keep coming in our pain when the troubles come, to, to give grace to others who are in pain and are experiencing trouble and help us, help us to lean on the cross, to go back to the floor, on the floor, on the floor of the cross of Jesus. May we love, treasure, and magnify Christ for that cross. In his name we pray, amen.